Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson, the talk show that makes the connections between research, policies, and practitioners that are too often missing from the American education system. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Good day, listeners. Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson. I am your host, Jonathan Jefferson. You can learn more about me at my show page on TalkZone.com. Today we're going to discuss art and music education. It's that time of the year when school leaders are looking at their budget projections for the next school year and too often seeking ways to reduce spending. First on the chopping block are usually art, music, and extracurricular activities. Leaders who are knowledgeable and guided by empirical research would never cut art, music, and or movement-based activities. In fact, the best way for the brain to learn is through coordinated movements to music, such as dance, yoga, and martial arts. These activities engage all four quadrants of the brain, while the increased blood flow provides the nutrients necessary to increase neuron passageways. My first guest, Kelvin Jenkins, is an artist, musician, teacher, and the Director of Art and Music for the Uniondale School District in New York. Kelvin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Jefferson. It's my pleasure to be amongst your audience and, and to be on your show as well. Great, and I greatly appreciate having you. So, so Kelvin, tell us about your introduction to the arts and how that led you to the work you do today. Wow. Um, it goes all the way back to my early childhood days. Um, I'm the youngest of, of four siblings, and... It's like four years between me and my next sister. All of my other siblings took piano lessons, but I was too young at that time. So when they finished with their lessons, I would get on the piano and pick out notes. And I, I soon learned how to pick out the very songs that they were playing. Pretty much taught myself by ear. Wow. I come from a musical family as well. And later on in the years, um, people on my block in my neighborhood would call us the Partridge family because we were actually <laughs> featured at, uh, at school events and community events as the, as the guest artists. And we always performed in church as well as a family group. Um, my brother is the only other sibling who actually went into music as a performer, and he did very well for himself. And I pretty much followed in his footsteps, but I went the educational route and became a teacher. It was in, a, in high school when I realized that that's what I wanted to do, especially after sitting there looking at my band teacher and saying, hey, this guy has the summers off, <laughs> and he seems to enjoy what he does. So I said, I, I want to go into music education. And I've truly found it to be a, reward, a rewarding choice. I've chosen a career, not just a job. Great. Um, and I haven't looked back. I'm still going forward. I've, I never thought I was going to make it this far as, as being the uh, chairperson or the director of music and art. Um, but it's, as I said, a very rewarding experience. And I get to see how I influence not just the students, but the teachers as well the younger teachers who are under me, under my tutelage, um, and me being able to see what goes on in other classrooms around the buildings, other buildings and other districts, and bringing those, those resources back to offer to my, my teachers is, is a great experience. Yeah, and it sounds like you're a fantastic resource for them. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Now, now share with us how the arts have integrated curriculums long before the tenets of today's Common Core State Standards. Yes, there's that word, common core. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it's a scary word late, lately because of, um, as you 
mentioned earlier in your other shows of the assessment of the Common Core was not really um, authentic, so people kind of shied back. But all the tenets of the Common Core are basically what art and music educators have relied upon for many, many years. Um, one of the, the authors of the Common Core standards, um, Dr. Daniel Levitin, he was, um, and um, I'm sorry. It's okay. One of now the I've, authors of the Common Core. I'm sorry. Now, uh, one of the one of the things I can hear you. One of the things you've you've mentioned in in meetings that I've sat in with you is you share uh, uh, examples, whether it's a piece of art or or a piece of music, of how the uh, teaching across curriculums, which is one of the things the Common Core State Standards motivate, um, is done. Can you give us one of those examples? Oh yes, certainly. Um, as I was saying before, David Coleman, one of the architects of the Common Core State Standards, um, said went on record to say that the standards that they wrote call on so many things that the arts do so well already, the tradition of careful observation, paying close attention to the evidence and the artist's choices, the love of taking an artist's work seriously. All those lie at the heart of um, the new Common Core standards as well. So pretty much they're asking music, uh, they're asking English and math teachers to do the same thing that arts teachers have done for years. There's no other way of teaching the arts but then looking closely at the, uh, the text taking the text apart, bringing the text back together, uh, looking at the elements of the text. And when I say text, um, of course, in ELA terms, that would mean the work, whether it's poetry or, or a novel or a short story or a nonfiction uh, book. But in, in the arts, the text can be a song. It can be a poem also. It can actually be a dance. The text can be a painting or a sculpture. And if you think back to your experiences in art classes, what did you do when you created art? You began from the very, you took nothing and you made something out of it. You, you started with nothing, you put things together, or you studied a complete work of art and you took it apart and then put it back together in discussions with, with your teachers and with your, your students, your peers around you, whether it was small group discussions or, or large group or whole class discussions. You talked about the work. Um, one of the examples I like to give is um, when I was teaching, this is something I used for years, I would put a quote on the board. Unfortunately, I don't remember the, the source of this quote, but it's a very intriguing quote. It goes like this. In order to appreciate the arts, one must first accept its unnaturalness, end quote. And I just write that on the board, and I'd ask my students to take a look at it, read it, and talk among themselves in either small group or large group and, and try to figure out what they think that quote is, is dealing with. What does it mean? So we talk about the word, what does it mean to appreciate? It means to like something for what it's worth. Um, okay, so that's, that's, the, that's the English part of it. You're bringing in yeah. ELA. <laughs> uh-huh. But when you appreciate something, you understand it for what it's worth. You, you, um, you don't necessarily fall in love with it, but you take it for what it is. Okay. Um, when you talk about the arts, in order to appreciate art, what is art? We spent a long time discussing this in my class. And, and basically what this does is it, it, it draws the kids in. They start talking to each other now. 
it's not just a teacher standing at the front of the room talking to the student. But the students are talking to each other. They're talking to the teacher. They're coming up with ideas. Define art. My definition for art is um, man's representation of nature. Now, now, can you? What levels did you teach uh, through K to twelve? Did you have experience teaching all all levels? Yes, I actually did. I began teaching kindergarten in Red Hook, Brooklyn. I I then moved to a music to a music position in that very same school. I stayed there for five years, and I went. To, I was lucky enough to go and teach back in my own alma mater high school, August Martin High School in Jamaica, Queens. And I stayed there three years. After that, I moved to Long Island, to Westbury, where I spent the largest part of my career, 14 years spent in the general music chorus classroom and music now, technology. Yeah. I asked that question because I'm curious as what differences do you see between how an elementary student might answer the question, what is art, to a middle school student, to a high school student? Um, do you see the difference or the refinement in their responses? Oh, certainly. Through the years? Certainly, there's a, a big difference in the, in the response. And that's another one of the tenets of the Common Course, to develop the, the, their, their levels vocabulary so the students have the right tools to speak with. Um, and there's, no, there's never too soon to develop a child's vocabulary. Um, one of the workshops you and I attended a couple of years ago basically spoke about that, using the arts or other technical, as they call us, subjects that are not ELA or math, um, to build vocabulary. So students um, can be college ready, um, okay. building upon either um, vocabulary that's used in other sub situations or or very specific vocabulary that deals only with the uh, subject matter in hand. But giving the, the students the words and the language. Okay. Now you mentioned the fact that. When you speak about text and art and music, you may be talking about a musical piece or uh, an artist rendering. Uh, you asked me if we can play a, sim- a symphony, a part mm-hmm. of a symphony. Is this your example of a text, and are you going to like share with us uh, what would be taught from that? Yes, this is a very popular lesson, especially at elementary school level. Um, around second, third grade, a lot of um, general music teachers introduce this piece. It's Haydn's Surprise Symphony. Um, Franz Joseph Haydn. Okay. The name of the text just is is kind of piques the student's interest anyway because they want to know what is the surprise. And most teachers introduce the piece just by talking a little bit about Haydn, giving a little bit of his background, where he was born, um, how long he lived, and what he did for a living. He wrote music. And this is one of his famous works, um, The Surprise Symphony. So you ask the children to close your eyes and just listen. And then somewhere along the line, you ask them to tell you why they think this symphony is now called the Surprise Symphony. Okay, so are you ready for us to play it? Yes, let's let's play it. Okay.
Okay, excellent. For a moment, I felt like a a, a classical disc jockey. <laughs> so, so how yeah. would you follow up the, the 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 playing of that piece? Beautiful piece, by the way. Thank you. I'd um I'd ask the students. So why is it called a surprise symphony? Why do we call it a surprise symphony? And of course, most of them would say, "Well, that big sound in the middle of the piece, that you know, that big." Most of the kids jump out of their seat at that time anyway. You have a good okay. stereo system in your classroom. It always happens. I look forward to seeing that lesson every year. Um, and then you talk about, did Haydn actually name it the Surprise Symphony? No, he didn't name it that. He later took on that name. But he did write it purposely because he noticed in his recitals that people were falling asleep. Mm. So he specifically wrote this piece to keep the people awake, to surprise them. That's great. Oh, That's I, I, I never learned that. Yeah. You have an ongoing conversation about that. Um, what instruments did you hear? Okay, I hope uh, you're not asking me because <laughs> I, I didn't have as rich an art and music education as you had growing up. <laughs> but, oh, you can point, out, point those out to the students. Of course, you've given them, you're connecting with their prior knowledge because hopefully by second or third grade, they're already familiar with the instruments of the orchestra, the different instrument families and all. So they can identify those pieces. Again, as Common Core states, we're taking the text and we're taking it apart. And then we're going to put it back together with discussion. So name Excellent. the instruments of the orchestra. Um, name the dynamics. What do we call that when the instrument's played loud? Oh, that's forte. So we're building, di- we're building their, their dialogue. We're building their vocabulary. What, what, okay. what do we call it when the instruments are playing softly? Oh, they were playing Piano? Piano? Isn't that an instrument? Then you can, you can, you know, take a little turn to the left. Let's talk about piano. Where did that get its name from? Okay. So, so really there's, there's a lot that's already built in and already been taught yeah. through art and music that touches on the tenets of the, the common core, especially with regards to crossing curriculum. But mm-hmm. at this time, we're going to take a short break, but stay tuned. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back to Educate on Talk Zone. Here's Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and our discussion with our guest, Kelvin Jenkins. If you'd like to join our conversation, the phone lines are open, 888-463-6748. That's 888-463-6748. We're taking your calls on Talk Zone. So, Kelvin. Uh, the arts are qualitative, not quantitative, not, not pretty much dealing with, you know, you know, numbers and equations. Therefore, how should children be assessed in, in the arts? Well, the assessment must be authentic. Uh, any assessment has to be authentic. And as you mentioned, you can't really put a number on art and say whether it's good or bad or whether the child is progressing based only solely upon a number. You have to look at the quality of the artwork, whether it's a performance, whether it's a painting or a sculptor, or a written, even a written piece in art, or a poem. What is the quality of it? And how do you assess quality? Good question. <laughs> yeah. Now, are there, are there, now do the teachers give examples of how they would maybe assess an abstract piece of art before a child actually creates one so that there's, they understand why they may have gained or lost points? Yes, we have to, um, we use rubrics, we um, use very descriptive rubrics, and what makes sense 
is that the, the um, assessments have to be clear, have to be clear and specific. Um, use verbs or action words like either perform or have the students describe, have the students create, or have the students identify. These are all standards-based um, words, action words that come right out of Bloom's taxonomy. Um, and if you if you match the cognitive command command or the cognitive demand to the standard, then you you it's easier to get the students to perform by giving them a task. Okay. Either identify or apply or synthesize or evaluate or even the highest create. If a student can create what you've described or what they've learned, then you know that they've they've already synthesized, they've already applied, they've already identified. And okay. in, all, in phys ed, and it's, it's just as in music and art, students, that's that's basically what they do is they create. Okay. Now, have you ever observed a student, let's say, who didn't get introduced to the arts or, or more so to music until maybe middle school, maybe sixth grade, and maybe they were a struggling student, and then you see a dramatic turnaround in their overall academic performance after being introduced to the to the music Wow. I used to call um, my general chorus class in, in Westbury, which was pretty much the general population for anybody who needed a music credit. I called it public speaking set to music. And I'd get all sorts of kids in class, um, the kids no one else wanted to teach because of behavioral problems or, or the special needs student who has a learning disability. They would come in my class and the light would go on. They would realize that the music was like a... a a tool to help them to express themselves. They would open, some of them are still my, my very best friends. They are my friends on Facebook, students I've had maybe 15, 20 years ago, and they still talk about their experiences in my music class, how it, it taught them to come out of their shell. It taught them how to communicate with other people. Um, it just made them a better person all around, and that's the whole um, objective of a of, of, of full or well-rounded education is to make responsible consumers. Okay. And are many of these uh, students successful in their in their current endeavors? Many of them are, yes. They have recording um, artists. I have music teachers. <laughs> uh, students have come back and told me that they're now teaching. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing. I call it a teacher payday when one okay. of my students comes back and tells me that they're still in the arts, they're still doing it, and, they, and they're thanking me for their experiences, and other te among other teachers as well. But um, it's a wonderful thing. You can't put a dollar sign on that. That's a wonderful experience to hear that you've had such an impact through the arts on any individual's life in that matter. Okay. Now, have you had some of them go on to, let's say, medicine or law who who just said that that was a turning point, you know, in, in, in their academic life in general, or is it mostly you see them shine in the music realm? Well, it's a kind of a mixture. Those who have gone into medicine, which are quite a few, they still use their music as their, um, I guess, their therapy. Mm -hmm. I know a few students who um, are in, in law school or medical school, and they still perform in that university's orchestra. Excellent. Time. Excellent. Or they sing in the chorus. I remember when I was in chorus, we had many members in the chorus in college. Mm -hmm. who were majoring in other things, but they came and, and partook in chorus uh, rehearsals every week and performed in the concerts as well. Excellent. We're all consumers of the arts. Mm -hmm. 
Now, I think, sorry. Yeah. No, I was going. We, we were because we started touching on how it crosses into other areas, especially with regards to uh, medicine, which is highly scientific. Uh, tell us about the current practice of integrating the arts with science, technology, engineering, and math, uh, commonly known as STEM. Oh yes. Uh, of course, the move across the country now is STEM, um, as you mentioned, science, technology, engineering, and math. But there's also been a move of late to incorporate the arts in that as well. And the reason is because the arts teach creativity. And this country was built on creative, uh, being creative. Creative people built this country, especially with technology. Um, the United States has been, has been a leader in technology. Um, Steve Jobs, for example, took an art course, which made him realize that he wanted to, be, you know, design computers and design Apple products um, based on his art course that he took, which was a designing course. Um, and that, that's all being all about being creative. So we can teach our students to think creatively and collaboratively with the arts and apply that to sciences and math and technology and engineering. It's it's like a, a drawing tool to to bring students in, and it gives them another another way of learning, other than lecture or research. Okay, so with the examples you give, maybe uh, could you give us an example of either science, technology, engineering, or math where the students were introduced or or it was enhanced through art and music, like a specific lesson type example. Uh, we have a graphic design course here in Uniondale, which was designed by one of my art teachers. And in our science, technology, engineering, and math program at here at the high school, we incorporated that because students were, were working on um, a uh, sustainable energy project. And they were coming up with ways to have sustainable energy. Um, because, of course, the, you know, the planet with the fossil fuels and all, we're going to soon run out hopefully not in our lifetime, but um, there is a concern. So we're looking at ways to come up with sustainable energy. And my art students, or the students who took the art graphic design course, were given the task of drawing the plans for whatever mechanism the students came up with. They're using computer-assisted um, applications to create the drawing, whether they're two-dimensional or 3D drawing. And okay. also um, creating placards and billboards and everything that, that are pretty much designed or, or spelled out the steps that were needed in order to create whatever project they were working on. So therefore, everything we touch has been touched by an artist in some way. It had to be designed. And when a person puts their touch on something or designing, you call it art. Absolutely. And, and I have to admit, uh, although I was introduced to, I guess, the perennials, the Da Vinci's and the Van Gogh's and the Picasso's. It's like you can't get through education or college without uh, having touched on on the great names. But what I found very effective is actually learning about uh, today's artists and 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 you know some of the the, the common abstract not I shouldn't say common but the current abstract uh, celebrities or or whatever their style might be. And I began just now in the past year or so gaining a greater appreciation. Uh, for all of the arts, because it wasn't just the the perennials that I was learning about. It was it was uh, today's artists, and I know you and I have discussed some of the experiences that I had recently. Yeah, <laughs> and I've shared some of the artwork 
uh, would you find that something beneficial, actually bringing in a contemporary artist or a, a, a celebrity today and having them explain uh, his work because I get, I, I used to look at abstract art like any lay or, or novice person and say, that just looks like, like somebody threw it against the wall. And then when I, when I actually met the artists and they explained their thinking behind it and, and it just, now I can't look at it the same way. I see so much more and I just found I gained so, personally gained so much more appreciation, um, having met, uh, modern artists. Yeah, I think that's key. We have to make that connection with, with our students. We have to make it real life. You have to touch their lives and and bring the, tear down the walls of the classroom. Mm-hmm. Whether you're going to a museum, going to a concert, um, let them experience it firsthand. Let them touch it. Let them let them feel it, um, and let them share their experiences as well. Because they bring they bring great experiences to the classroom as well. Um, we had visitors from that are working professionally in the field of graphic design come and speak to some of our high school students as well. Uh, one of the graphic designers from Macy's mm. office is actually at the Herald Square Macy's. She came in um, earlier this year and spoke to our graphic design class. Her job is designing those pamphlets that you see in the mail or in the magazine that actually um, advertise Macy's. Okay. Okay. So there and, are uh, plenty of fields to go into with with art. Okay. Now, has has Macy's or or organizations? that employ artists, have they taken on high school students as interns? Uh, yes. Uh, there, those opportunities do exist as well, as also in music. Um, there are plenty of uh, – one of our students who graduated a couple of years ago uh, went to one of the newer universities down in Florida, Full Sail University, which is back in uh, art school, very artsy school, up and coming too. And right away he got an internship. He was on the road his first year, freshman year. He was on the road doing sound for professional bands and, and and singers. Um, wow. Well, in fact, that's something we didn't mention. Um, the many different jobs that uh, students can get in the arts and, and with, through music. Can you just list a few of them? We're running, we only have a couple of minutes left, but we can just list several other jobs that, that students can strive toward. Oh, wow. The list is endless. Uh, How about more of the uncommon ones? Like some, someone might not know what a sound person does or what, you know, running the panel behind a, you know. <laughs> yeah, sound design, studio technician, actually running all those instruments that you see inside a studio. Um, an, an interesting field, one of my teachers went to school to be a medical illustrator. Okay, wow. Didn't even think she, of that. She went to, so she was going to study to draw the medical books. All the, mm. the diagrams you see in the medicine books, the, the body yes. and, and the that was that's what she studied to do. So that's a very uncommon field. That's um, probably more popular now because with all the technology we have in hand, um, you don't have to draw it with your hand anymore. You, you computer assisted. So, um. in fact, one of I mentioned the perennials. I believe it was Da Vinci who uh, first began dissecting bodies and drawing the muscles and, right. and the layer and layers and what have you. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think there's a, that's a popular. Uh, cable network show now um of course they put the hollywood spin on it but there's some truth behind the the, oh, the yeah. history right music okay. therapists yes that's becoming very popular mm. with all the mental illness that's going on yes <laughs> which, is, which has always gone on it's just been been more accepted yeah. I, I had a guest on and we did also discuss mental illness mm-hmm. okay. okay we have been speaking with 
Kelvin Jenkins, Director of Art and Music for the Uniondale School District in New York. Kelvin, thank you very much for coming on my show. Thank you for the opportunity, Dr. Jefferson. Great, and we'll be, I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Okay, stay tuned because April is Poetry Month, and our next guest has created a form of poetry that brings art and music education to new heights. <laughs> 